0: He ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As we go through uh, the Beatitudes, we began last week. Uh, one thing we need to understand about these is they, they do build on one another. Uh, last week was really foundational, and so we, we want to remember what we talked about uh, last week in particular. Uh, we talked about what it is to be blessed. And if you note, that's the name of this series. It is our identity. It is, it's who we are as the people of God. But to be blessed, although it can be translated happy, we don't want to look at it as uh, happiness like uh, the world gives and takes away, that comes and goes, but as uh, one commentator put it, uh, the Christian blessedness is completely untouchable and unassailable. It's not something that we get or achieve. Blessedness is something that is given to us by God. It is the identity of God. The believer. Now, last week we talked about uh, what it is to be poor in spirit, and, and it led us to uh, the Lord's table. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We talked about how, how there is uh, uh, nothing that we bring to our own salvation, and that is the attitude that uh, he calls us to. This uh, hymn we sang a few minutes ago, uh, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, the third verse. The the whole uh, passage, I mean the whole uh, hymn really fits with uh, the first one that we talked about. But come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. In other words, it's not a matter of getting better building up works and things that we can do, if you're waiting on that, you're never going to come to Christ. And that was uh, what we looked at last week. But for those who are poor in spirit, here's the irony of the kingdom, is that they're the ones that inherit the kingdom. If you're poor enough, you inherit this wonderful, this great thing we called the kingdom of God. So then what? If that's foundational, where do we go from there? And I want us to read our passage again in Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, Let's bow together. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning, poor in spirit, with no inkling that we can add to your glory, but privileged that you have called us to worship you and lift up our voices to you. Thank you for that. But now, Lord, will you help us to see where we go from here from being poor in spirit and inheriting this thing called the kingdom of heaven, will you show us? What does it mean that we are blessed who mourn? What is the comfort we ask you to show us in Jesus' name? Amen. So as we move into this, I want us to think just briefly about the the nature of of grief and mourning itself. In uh, the Scripture, there's actually nine words that could be translated to mourn. Now, what that tells me, at least in in one way, is that it obviously permeates life. Mourning and and grief are just a part of this life in in our world. We can experience grief for all kinds of loss. Everything from just some kind of a change in your life, change is loss, where it, it upsets you, to breaking up with somebody or to a marriage falling apart, to the loss of a job, to a loss of getting into the school you wanted to get into, to the loss or a failure in a class you're in. All of those are, are various kinds of, of grief and loss that we experience in this life. And all of us will experience those to varying degrees. And mourning and grief and loss can be a selfish thing. Not all mourning is, but it can be. To where one begins to improperly feel sorry for oneself and and fall into what we all know as a pity party. That, too, is a kind of mourning or grief. Now, no grief is pleasant. I will just say that right up front. No grief or mourning is pleasant. But there is a kind of mourning that is life-giving. And that's what I'm convinced this passage is talking about. Now, the word that is used here, I told you there was a number of different words that could have been used, and they describe uh, various kinds of grief. The word that is used here is the same word that that is used elsewhere pertaining to the kind of grief one experiences when they lose someone they love. You know, many of you, how painful that is. Some of you are right in the middle of that, right now. Some of you have dealt with it for a long time. Yesterday, I got an email of a caring bridge, uh, and many of you are familiar with that. It's uh, when someone is uh, quite ill, uh, where they let people know, update people what's going on. Well, one of our pastors in this presbytery uh, just a, a week or so ago went to be with the Lord. And this caring bridge was his wife continuing to write some things, I know she won't for long, about the follow-up to it, of what she's going through at this point. And it was just heartrending to read her great loss. That's the word that is used here. Why? Why would Jesus say that That kind of mourning, he doesn't say mourning over the loss of somebody, but that kind of intense mourning and grief, if you experience it, you will be comforted. Well, I want to take you to another passage to try to explain what this passage is about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I am convinced that what Jesus was talking about in this passage is a sadness over sin. A grief over sin that has been committed. Now, I want to make a distinction here. There is a difference, and I think that's what the 2 Corinthians passage says. says. There there is a difference between uh, grief that leads to repentance and just simple worldly remorse. Here's what I mean by that, and then uh, let's take a couple of characters that are in all likelihood pretty familiar to us. You look at, for instance, Peter and Judas. Peter, we know, disowned Jesus, he denied him, he cursed him. And then he heard the cock crow and it broke him. Judas denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus. He, too, regretted it. He had what I would call a worldly remorse over it. it. Now, what's the difference between the two of them? Why, Why would I say one is a a repentance, and one is merely a remorse. Both saw the consequences. Look at the difference of the reaction. When Peter was convicted, he went back to the people of God. He went back to the other apostles. And they took him in. Ultimately, he was restored and Jesus himself restored him. And he became the head of the church. On the other hand, you have Judas. With his remorse, what did he do? Well, he tried to take the betrayal money back. He went back to the chief priests not the people of God, and to those chief priests who rejected him and it drove him to despair to the point where he took his own life. You see the difference between a mere worldly remorse that is not life-giving and a grief that drives us to repentance. Paul goes on in that 2 Corinthians 7 passage to make the distinction. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. A proper grieving over sin leads to a healthy dealing with that sin. Not a running from it. Not a suppressing it. Now maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I I can think of sin in my life, but I don't particularly want to deal with it. Well, I will tell you this. For those of you that may be thinking that, there is another way to deal with sin. There is. The Scripture talks about it. In fact, it's an alternative. David tried it. David had sinned with Bathsheba. He had lied. He had deceived. He had given an order that led to her husband's death putting him in harm's way, almost certain death. Some would call it murder. And he decided to take the alternate route of dealing with his sin. And that was to not deal with his sin. To suppress it. To not mention it. To not deal with it. Listen to what happened. He records what it was like when he went that route in Psalm 32. For when I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength, was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's an alternative. You can do that. You can go that route, but here's what happens. If you have the Spirit of God in you. God's hand was so heavy upon him He said, it's like I I got dehydrated, probably from tears and not being able to hydrate and all of that. Who knows? But from the kind of stress he underwent by trying the alternative route, and that was to suppress his sin and not deal with it. Now, here's the thing. Unless you've become so hardened toward God that you can no longer experience him, if you've been ignoring your sin, you already know that feeling. You already know what it's like to begin to be eaten up inside. And you can say, David, I hear you. I know what you felt back then. And I will simply say, as your pastor... I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to be in that place. We are going to take a couple of moments here. It's not the end of the sermon. We're going to take a couple of moments and spend some time talking to the Lord. If you have uh, the outline, you can see the, the things that I suggest here, and I will mention some of them. But I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Some of these may apply to you. Others won't. I'm not accusing. These are categories. These are things that I know that believers struggle with. And I want you to ask yourself as you go into this Have I ever, have I ever once, you who have grieved over someone you love, have I ever once grieved over my sin that way? Let's bow together. Lord, there are some in this place not facing up to our sin. Will you have mercy for those who have gods before you, idols in our lives? Will you forgive us for wanting to be in control? For not praying as as if we believe you are loving and will do what is best, but praying only what we want because we think we know what is best. Will you forgive for us living prayerless lives some not praying any time other than in this room on Sundays. Lord, most of us have several Bibles, and some of us never read any of them. Lord, we want our wills, not yours. Will you forgive us, Lord, for pride in our life, for thinking too highly of ourselves, for not loving our spouse sacrificially, and for not loving others as we ought, for having thoughts in our minds, maybe even in the last few moments that are not glorifying to you for taking the gospel for granted as if we somehow deserved it and not any longer being amazed by the truth of your gospel and by grace. For loving money too much, not giving to you what you've commanded. Lord, for refusing, maybe for some in this room, even now to be honest with you, even though you know our hearts. Lord, if we've not been broken, will you break us? Give us a, a grief and a mourning means we've really dealt with our sin, not just had human remorse for the results of our sin, but because we have offended you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a prophecy of Jesus. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a a faint spirit. So how can we go from mourning, from grieving over sin in the clothing of grief, as it were. That's what that passage talks about. And be comforted to the point that we are clothed with a desire to praise God. And that's what the passage is about that Jesus says in the Beatitudes. There is a remedy for our grief. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Joy Davidson, the wife of C.S. Lewis, I think, put it beautifully. The only way to get rid of sin is to admit it. Without such honesty, repentance, forgiveness, and grace are impossible. The Christian does not go around all the time feeling guilty. For him, sin is a burden he can lay down, for he can admit it, repent, and be forgiven. It is the unfortunate creature who denies the existence of sin in general, and his own in particular. The way to freedom consists in honest confession and repentance that can open our hearts to the comforter. You know how Jesus said all of that? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when you mourn and grieve over your sin, for you shall be comforted. Now, if you have grieved over your sin, maybe before you came in here today, but maybe it was in the last few moments, where does your comfort come from? Here's the distinction between other world religions and Christianity, Other world religions would say, yeah, you you know, when you do bad stuff, you need to grieve. You need to mourn. In fact, you need to do it and do this and do that and do some kind of penance. And some would say, uh, uh, make a, a journey, make a pilgrimage. Some would say, become a martyr. Do those things, other world religions would say. And those in other world religions would say, there may be comfort for a moment, but then you got to do them again. You have to go back and do it again. That is not the nature of Christianity. You see, our sadness should be because of who we offended. It was the very one that we offended that now comforts you who mourned over that offense. And that's the gospel. So we realize first that we have nothing to offer to God and we mourn over our sin, but then we're comforted by the very one we grieve. In Romans 7, Paul talks about doing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things he wants to do. And he talks about this big struggle that anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time can relate to. I just, I I can't seem to do the things I want to. And here was his conclusion. In frustration, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the answer. That's the answer. Once we have grieved over our sin, we have mourned. There is comfort. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord today, perhaps you took a look at yourself and your sin. We will not, we must not stay in that place. All of us must look at the perfect law of God and run as wounded people to the sinner's place, but if we remain there, then we haven't understood the gospel. Like worldly grief, sometimes people get stuck at some point in grief. People can get stuck in dealing with their sin. And so, the point is not to gaze at our sin. Not to meditate on our sin. Because that can't set us free. We need to see Jesus. Robert Murray McShane put it this way. For every one look at your sin, take ten looks at Christ. Luther said, for every one look at your sin, take ten looks at the cross. If you do, You will be comforted. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, that you are the comforter, that you don't want us to stay in that place of mourning over our sin. That's why Jesus paid for it on the cross. We give you all praise in his name. Amen.